Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to Poetry Aloud. I know it's been a while since the last time I updated, but um, I have a really special guest with me here today. Um, her name is Karen Poppy. We both went to Smith College. Um, and I'll let her introduce herself, and then I'll talk a little bit about what we're going to do today. Go ahead, Karen. Hi, I'm Karen Poppy. Hannah, thank you so much for introducing me and for having me on your podcast. I really appreciate it. We're going to talk about a really exciting book today, too. Yeah. Um, so Karen recently messaged me and told me that she is doing a review of Fire Carousel, um, which is a anthology with four different poets all about their experiences with mental health. And um, Karen knows that I have a background and my own experiences with mental health, that I've struggled with those. And she knew about my podcast and she thought that it might be a good fit for us to discuss them here. Um, Karen, do you want to add anything about Fire Carousel? Well, the, the project was also meaningful to me mm -hmm. in that I have a history with mental health issues mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. having some incidents with PTSD. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, so what we're going to do today is we're each going to read, so there are four poets, we're each going to read our favorite poem from each of the four poets and discuss them. And just to give you, like I said, a little bit of uh, background, this is Fire Carousel, and the poems are by Virginia Chase Sutton, Era Johnson, Liz Robbins, and Lauren Tivy. And there's also photography by Nicole Tucker in here as well. Um, all right, why don't we just jump right in? Karen, you're starting with um, our first poet. Why don't you introduce the poem and read it? Okay, I'm going to read a poem by Virginia Chase Sutton, and I'm very excited and happy to do so because she's an extraordinary poet and also a dear friend of mine with a Smith connection. She didn't go to Smith, but she has as her great aunt, Mary Ellen Chase. And she reached out to me previously to find out more about Mary Ellen Chase and Eleanor Deckett. Hmm. So I just love that she is in this anthology and that she has the Smith connection as well. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And um, just to continue with the Smith theme a little bit more, <laughs> I'm going to be reading her poem titled Heritage, which does mention a strand of pearls in it. And that is just mm, such a Smith thing. That's great. Um, also, I do want to say that the, a lot of the poems in here, since we're talking about things that are difficult, might mention um, suicide or sexual assault or um, self-harm. So just be aware while listening um, that those things will come up. And if you're not comfortable, obviously, you can turn off the podcast at any point. That's an excellent point, Hannah. So there are some content warnings here. And if anything becomes too uncomfortable or disturbing, please just turn off the podcast. Mm -hmm. Here's Virginia Chase Sutton's poem, Heritage. Madness coils in my brain, a nest of pearls from mother's huge jewelry box. She tells me mentally sick people are common in the family. I've seen it happen. And hooked, terrified, I lean closer to hear stories I know so well. Mother whispers about the old state asylum with barred windows, locked doors, people screaming. 
mother's saddest story is of her cousin, Susan, a couple of years older, sophisticated, ready to attend a fine college, smartest kid in the bunch. One summer afternoon during a family outing, mother, a teenager, climbed a hill to an icy stream. I always liked feeling numb, she says. Summer runoff in Maine is desperately cold. Cousin Susan, a little behind, was sent to fetch sodas from the water. Mother watched wide-eyed as Susan reached into the stream, slicing her hand on a broken Coke bottle. Extended family heard her screams. It was bloody and needed stitches, Mother says. And beautiful, promising Susan had a tremendous breakdown. Her life was ruined. The accomplished girl suddenly became a child. A switch was turned off and she was never the same. She lived with her mother, no stress, very calm, mother explains. There is one in every generation. Susan writes to us for years, short letters about flowers scrawled in a child's hand. Mother never answers. Susan, I know my fate. Decades later, I have a breakdown. Feel a strand of costume curls rolling off a string, one at a time, causing depression, confusion, panic, suicidal ideation. My first hospitalization experience is akin to tales of Susan's meltdown and stories of relatives in the state asylum. Each pearl is a little jolt, like ECT might be. The crummy hospital houses all mental illnesses. Patients are chaotic, tossing tables and chairs. I must get out fast. I gulp meds, keep head down, even as spirits slam daily, though I force them to shut up. Finally released, back home, everything is impossibly wrong. Loose, junky jewelry, trying to restring. A task that never feels complete. Pearls fall like droplets of water into my ear. I know how Susan felt in her moment. Panic, helplessness, nowhere to go but roll downhill. Cousin Susan left in pieces, never to recite again. Nothing left for us. This is our legacy. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Um, so why did you pick this poem out of the couple of poems that she has in this anthology? I think that all of the poems that Virginia Chase Sutton writes are extremely powerful and mm -hmm. true. Mm -hmm. This one to me stood out because it highlights the family relationship and the relationship with her mother, mm. something that Virginia has written about time and time again. So I felt that it was particularly emblematic of her work. Mm, yeah. I like this one too, because of the idea of inheritance, right? The pearls are an inheritance, but then also the mental illness is an inheritance. And I think that 
often when something like this runs in a family, you feel kind of doomed from the start. And um, I like that this poem talks about these different types of inheritances and how they affect her life. Um, and, you know, it can take some time to to heal from those wounds and to see yourself differently, especially if you've been spent time in a mental hospital or have family that has. Um, so I really appreciated kind of the blunt and honest view of that in this poem. I agree. And with regard to inheritances, the pearls that she mentions in her poem, it's not like these are fine pearls, mm -hmm. the inheritance in her own words, it's mm -hmm. impossibly wrong, mm -hmm. loose, junky jewelry. Yeah, yeah. It's a string of like fake pearls, which I liked too. this like this mental illness as coils, because you can see the image too, right? Like these pearls that fall apart and come back, but none of them really are worth anything. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and this is kind of the theme of her poems in this section. She talks about um, her mental illness in that way and just her family relationships in general as well. Um, her poems tend to be pretty long and detailed, which I like as well. There's a lot of um, like speaking back and forth, really strong imagery. Um, and she's the first poet who is shown in this anthology. She's the first one, which is why we started with her. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to add, Karen? I mean, I think it's super powerful. Kind of the words almost speak for themselves, but. <laughs> I think so, too. And just the fact that um, she talked so openly about it in itself as a type of power. Yes, definitely. I think that's something that I struggled with a lot when I first started writing. Um, it wasn't until actually when I was at Smith, I saw Andrea Gibson perform and they spoke so openly and honestly about their mental illness in their poems that I feel like that was the first time that I was like, oh, I'm allowed to do this. I'm allowed to write about this. And anthologies like this really provide that space for us to be to see someone else do it and say, oh, this is a possibility. This is something that people want to read. And more than that, that people will relate to. It's true. And it's also continuing the legacy of another famous Smithy, Smith mm -hmm. College alum, Sylvia Plath. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's very true as well. That's a good connection. Yeah. Okay. Um, so next up is Aria Johnson. Um, she wrote the next section of poems. I really loved them. I think that they're quite evocative, um, a little shorter, but a little bit also um, off the beaten path. I'm going to read one of them and then I'll mention a couple of others. The, the one that I really wanted to read doesn't like lend itself well to reading out loud, um, but I'll talk about it later. So this is the first poem. Um, and it's called The Day Before My Suicide. I sent the texts, turned off my phone, washed my hands, and dug a hole. I went bird watching, dropped coins in a well, organized lottery tickets, and sat in a parking lot. I smoked halo rings around my head until I was dizzy. I counted backwards from 12, wished upon a star. I paced tread marks on my bedroom floor and cried. I stared at my ceiling fan until it was Saturn. I cleared my calendar, canceled subscriptions. I coordinated clothes and a casket. I counted pills. <sighs> this one is just so powerful to me um, for many reasons. I, I, 
love the concept of the things that you do to prepare, even though really ultimately, like it won't like, for example, canceling subscriptions. Like if you're not going to be there, why do you care if they're canceled or not? Right. But it's all of this preparation, this this ritual that goes into these thoughts and these attempts and thinking of what are the ways that I can prepare myself for the end of my life. I thought it was super evocative. Um, I think my favorite line is I stared at my ceiling fan until it was Saturn. I've definitely been in that space before where you stare at something for so long, it becomes something else because when you're in that space and you're not processing things the same way, right? Like you're stuck processing so much that really all you can do is just stare in front of you <laughs> and see what's right there. Um, so that's what I really loved about this particular poem. I'm not sure if the poet meant it or not with that line, but just in thinking, and I think a lot about the mythology of Saturn, hmm. the Saturn devouring his children. I grew up oh. on a cul-de-sac Wow. named Saturn Court. And I didn't have the best childhood. And um, so it's something that I think a lot about Saturn dev devouring his children. And just wondering, I stared at my ceiling fan until it was Saturn. Mm -hmm. I didn't hear that. I didn't know that about Saturn. Is it, It's a Roman god? Right. So the mythology is that he actually try to eat his children. Wow. That's an interesting, that's like a powerful background to this. Yeah. And it's, I think it's just woven through, right? These, these things that the persona does before ending her life, including the Saturn, right? Being devoured. And then also I love to organize lottery tickets. It kind of goes in the same vein. Like, why are you organizing your lottery tickets? What do you need them for? And I think there's this, and I mean, I could be reading into this, but I do think that there's this concept of like preparation and being ready just in case, um, which I really loved. And a lot of her poems are um, surrounding a suicide or suicide attempt. There's one that I super love that's called Post-Suicide Attempt Checklist, and it's literally a checklist, and it has something struck out, um, which is part of the reason why I didn't read it here is because I didn't want to say strike out after, like, you know, all of the lines, but it's great to see the things that she does and the things that she doesn't do. Like, for example, she doesn't block my ex again, but she does flush pills and recycle the bottle, which I thought was really cool. Um I liked these poems for a lot of reason, and I think one of them is definitely how um, quotidian it all feels. Like, it feels like an everyday experience. Like, one's my suicide as a playlist, right? Like, there are these things that are part of our everyday lives that are included here that I think kind of make this paradox between suicide attempt and life and what it means to consider ending that life. I thought it was really cool. I also think that the day before my suicide, that this poem does speak to legacy in a mm. way too. I mean, she's planning, the speaker is planning her suicide very methodically mm -hmm. and organizing lottery tickets. Well, for whom? Yeah. Is it for, is it a legacy for her family? Is that also why she coordinated clothes in a casket to make things easier for the people left behind? Yes. 
Oh, Karen, that's so powerful. That's so true. I didn't even think of that, but that's exactly it. She's preparing things for those who will be left behind so that they have less to think about and deal with. That's, yeah, that's super. So just tongue in cheek, um, I looked up using the greatest academic, Google. <laughs> of course, love Google. <laughs> so Dr. Google, um, who has a PhD in such things, um, the, the first um, hit of Saturn eating his children is the painting by Francisco Goya, mm -hmm. Saturn devouring his son. It says Saturn devouring his son is a painting by Spanish artist Francisco Goya. It depicts the Greek myth of the Titan Cronus eating one of his offspring, fearing a prophecy foretold by Gaia that predicted he would be overthrown by one of his children. Saturn ate each one wow. upon their birth. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, I learned something new. Maybe I'll put that in my poem next. <laughs> <laughs> I think we'll all be writing some Saturn poems after yeah, uh, this sure. one. <laughs> um, okay. Well, do you want to move on to the next poet, Karen? Sure. One sec. Mm -hmm. The next poet is Liz Robbins. And I chose her poem titled Sad. Mm -hmm. I'll start with the reason I chose it actually. Yeah, please. So in the poem, she, um, the speaker rather, speaks of lime, a lime tree sitting in a little clay pot. And I had actually written a poem about a citrus tree in a pot before. And so this poem spoke to me. It was like the poems, the way that even if you haven't read the poem before writing yours, you find out that poems speak to each other back and forth, mm -hmm. that they have their own conversations, yeah. completely separate from the poets themselves. It's um, just a really intriguing thing. Yeah, no, that's very cool. It's these, these lines that connect us as writers, as creatives, that we might not even see until we read someone else's poem. And we're like, oh, man, this is me. <laughs> that is true. And that ultimately connect the readers Mm -hmm. may not be poets to the poems that there's some sort of a universality yes. to it all yes definitely so here's the poem sad the lime tree sits in a little clay pot on the tips of its limbs tiny globes green as envy the pot sits at the edge of the yard mostly out of sight when I come across it, it's been days, the soil too dry, fruit the same size as before. To assist requires walking back to the house, finding a jug, filling it with water, walking back, slowly pouring to the depths, walking back and forth three or four times. This process I'll do, but probably not enough. I'm thinking I don't need a slice of lime for my gin. I worry a lot about my choosing. What I can't see are roots growing down, touching walls, having nowhere to curl but in. I don't think to yank up, dig a hole, find a new home. 
I think how little I need limes, how much work, the evidence of my nurturing. Wow. This one's incredible. It's one where we do need that silence, mm -hmm. that respectful, holy silence after. Mm -hmm. I think this is something that a lot of people who struggle with mental health come across is the idea of nurturing oneself. And I love that here, the nurturing is something that is outside, right? It's like, oh, I could take care of this lime tree, but it would take so much work. I don't, I don't actually need it, right? When that little bit of citrus could really mean so much more than just the lime tree itself. I like the line, the set of lines. What I can't see are roots mm -hmm. growing down, touching walls, having nowhere to curl, but in mm -hmm. that inward process that we all have, especially when we're sad, mm -hmm. when we feel depressed, when we can't really even do something as simple as watering a lime tree. Yeah. Which makes me think of the lines, uh, to assist requires walking back to the house, finding a jug, filling it with water, walking back, slowly pouring to the depths. It makes me think of this um, comic that I saw once that was like on some days and it had, it just said, step one, make an egg. On other days, it was like, step one, get the pan, get the butter, crack the egg, whip it up, cook it, right? So it's like how different days, different tasks feel so much more monumental and I loved the way that she broke this down, talking about finding the jug, filling it with water, walking back, how all of those by themselves might seem like mundane tasks. But when you're in the muck of depression, it, nothing feels mundane because you're literally being pulled downward with every single action. That's true. Walking back and forth three or four times, mm -hmm. the process I'll do, but probably not often enough. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And back to nurturing something not done often enough for ourselves yeah. that when we're in these depths, it's really hard to take care of ourselves. Yeah, definitely. Even And she says she wants the little bit of lime for her gin. And then she kind of goes, ah, actually, maybe I don't need it because she doesn't want to do it because she doesn't have the energy for it. So she convinces herself that maybe this isn't something that she needs for her everyday life when it's more than just the lime tree. It's her quality of life in general. Well, and it's ironic, isn't it? That when we need self-care the most, that's when it's most difficult to do it. Yeah, definitely. Yes. And I think there's a big theme as well in her. I mean, all of her poems are about gardening, right? There's the herb garden, leaves, um, the tomato crop guide. I think that gardening is a really um, fruitful ha, <laughs> metaphor. <laughs> I know, I know. I heard it. Um, but metaphor for taking care of oneself, right? Like a garden, it's so, it provides sustenance, it provides food. And maybe these days, yes, you can go and buy it at the grocery store, but there's something fundamental about growing something for yourself um, that I think is really emphasized in these poems. I just love how her poems focus on the garden and on plants too. And, and I loved your pun because I just love puns. 
Thank you. I also love puns. It's it's a flaw, but I love them. I think they're very funny. I think I think it's a fine flaw. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I just love this line. Well, set of lines. It's actually a couplet in the last poem that she has here, the tomato crop guide. The garden retains a version of itself mm. while growing. Yeah. Yeah. How true for us all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. And in that same poem, I'm pretending my plants are a bloodline that will outstretch me. This idea of something that stays after and that grows. It's just beautiful. I, yeah. I mean. So we're back to legacy and heritage. Exactly. Exactly. Because it is something, you, I mean, I know I think about this sometimes. I'm like, what, you know, I want to have children um, they biological or not, but sometimes if I imagine having biological kids, I'm like, well, what am I giving them? Right? Like, this is such a huge part of my family. Like we have struggled with this for so long. And I like to think of the resiliency, but also the pain that goes along with making that choice. Right. It's very, it's an interesting thing that I think about often. <laughs> it's true. And we have all sorts of legacies and mm-hmm, heritages mm-hmm. that we carry and that we carry on and give to the next generation yeah. and several generations down. Yeah. It doesn't just end with us and our children. Mm-hmm. It's also then our children's children, mm-hmm. their children and so on and so forth. Yeah. So it's, um, well, it, it's a powerful thing mm-hmm. and it's also fairly daunting yeah. to know, well, gosh, this is my leg. All right, everyone. I got a quick update about Fire Carousel after the fact. Um, I got a blurb to read, so here it goes. Fire Carousel, a collaborative poetry and art project featuring poets Virginia Chase Sutton, Aria Johnson, Liz Robbins, and Lauren Tibby, and photographer Nicole Tucker has been accepted for publication with Main Street Rag Publishing Company. The project, highlighting themes of mental health and awareness, was a finalist in three different publishing contests this past year, Small Harbor Press, which is what Karen and I were talking about, Rattle, and Jakar Press. The book has received outstanding blurbs from authors Lee Martin, Liz Chang, Michelle Rosga, and Michelle Sharp. Release is set for early 2023, and the book will be available for advanced sales via the Main Street Rag Bookstore this October. So there you have it. Check out their website. Let's uh, get them some wonderful press. And uh, again, thanks to the Poets and for Karen for doing this uh, podcast with me.